This is Play by Playcast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play by play guys. For play by play guys, by I'm told, a play by play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now, here's the host of Play by Playcast, Todd Bodet. <laughs> Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay. Here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Welcome back in Play-By-Play Cast. Of course, the podcast about play-by-play broadcasters for play-by-play broadcasters. Hosted by a play-by-play broadcaster. My name is Joel Gadet. I'm the radio and television voice of the Ball State University Cardinals. And you have found a podcast that's a professional development one. that dives into the tips, tricks, tools, experience, process, stories, and preparations of some of the biggest and best play-by-play announcers in the business. And I'm exhausted. <laughs> Oh, it snowed this past weekend, well, everywhere, but in Indianapolis in particular, so flew out a day early on Friday, which was cool, got to see my dog, went to Philadelphia for women's basketball, went through a couple practices on Saturday, called a game on Sunday, flew home Monday, radio show Monday night, men's basketball game Tuesday night, women's basketball game Wednesday night, drove to Ypsilanti Thursday well, I didn't drive. I sat in the car. Um, someone else drove. But then did gymnastics on ESPN3 last night. I then drove back. I'm exhausted. And we've got a bus ride to Athens, Ohio tonight. So Ball State can play there with men's basketball tomorrow. Plane flight to Buffalo on Monday night. Tuesday, Ball State men's basketball plays at Buffalo. Top 25 program. And that day I'm driving to Syracuse uh, to go impart whatever wisdom I have, which is not much, uh, to the students at Newhouse, which will be really cool. I'm looking forward to that uh, big time. So, yeah, not a lot's going on. It's been a pretty routine week. <laughs> Our guest today, though, is a cool one because through all of the episodes of this podcast, we've had a lot of people on um, that I've known. Uh, we've not yet had someone on, and I hope I don't get this wrong, uh, but we've not yet had someone on who I've worked with on air. This week is the first person I've had a broadcast partner with me on this podcast. And it's Leah Secundo from CBS Sports Network, who I called this past weekend's uh, LaSalle St. Joe's women's basketball game with. And uh, she's a cool story because she is one of the pioneers of women in sports broadcasting and women in play-by-play. And her career dates back, if you hear any ruffling, by the way, I'm currently uh, cooking eggs, Um, but her career dates back. Uh, more than three decades to when she was on television hosting in the NBA, when she was doing play-by-play and analysis. Uh, She was working with UConn women's basketball at the very beginning of Gina Oriema's dynastic run here. Uh, She covers any variety of sports, does play-by-play and color for women's basketball or field hockey or softball. To have someone who is looked at as an expert analyst in so many different sports is really cool. And then on top of that, to be able to actually call the play-by-play um, for a lot of them as well is, is, is pretty awesome. And it's a unique perspective because she hasn't just sat in both chairs, but she sits in both chairs. And uh, to be able to pick her brain about her expectations of her partner when she's doing play-by-play or her expectations of her partner when she is an analyst Uh, I think was a really cool and worthwhile discussion. Uh, So a wide-ranging conversation with Leah Secundo this week um, about what it's like being a groundbreaker and a woman in this field and what it's like about sitting in both chairs uh, of what we talk about every week here on this podcast. Leah Secundo is our guest this week on PXPCast. 
probably the only thing that I haven't done would be an NFL game I, as far as play-by-play -play is concerned. I covered the NFL, covered it for uh, approximately six years uh, when I was with two different affiliates, uh, Channel 40 in Springfield, Mass., and Channel 8 in New Haven, Connecticut. So I was covering the Giants-Jets or the Patriots, um, depending on who was home for depending on what station I was working with at the time. How did you get into all of this? Like, what sparked this in your head? Um, and I know you played every sport imaginable. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess let's go back that far. Like, okay. why? Because, I mean, you're kind of a, a renaissance person in this industry as well. Why were you a renaissance person in just being an athlete in general? Yeah, well, I, I knew it was in the fourth grade. Fourth or fifth grade, we had to do a project. And actually... And when I was cleaning out my parents' house recently, I came across the projects. And, and so I brought them back to Florida with me um, to kind of as a little bit of a throwback keepsake to hold on to. Um, we had to do a, a story of something. And uh, I chose to do a newspaper article on uh, the high school football team, Fermi High School, which I would eventually go play for and their football game. And so that was basically my first sports story back then, and I knew that I wanted to go into sports. Uh, Gail Gardner was the only person at that time, female-wise, that was doing anything in sports. Gail Sarens, who was, ended up being a news anchor in Tampa, uh, did end up doing an NFL game like right around that time. But um, it, was, it was really Gail Gardner and that whole watching Gil Gardner doing sports that made, you know, was my click to wanting to be a sportscaster. What's it like being a young girl? And I mean, it's, you know, it's different nowadays in some respects, mm -hmm. um, but to turn on a TV and be like, hey, none of these people look like me. No, and, and it's different today in a lot of respects. Um, back when I had interest in doing it, um, the door was not open. Uh, I can remember I saved a shoebox. I had about 540 resumes in that box. All kind, you know, some were rejection letters. Some were just thanking me, which for applying for the job, which you don't see too much anymore. Uh, and those were my. That was my motivation. I kept that shoebox uh, alive, and and I had to back then because there really wasn't a belief of women doing sports. Um, there was Alice Cook in Boston. And, and she was on uh, Channel 4 in Boston, I believe. And then there was Marge Petro Petroselli, who was doing uh, radio in Boston. And, and myself in Western Massachusetts, being the first female on the TV side in Western Mass. And, um, and I can just remember just trying to keep knocking on the door. The, uh, the third news director finally allowed me to stay because I was on the assignment desk and help out in sports. And that was how I got my opportunity one night the sports guy was sick and a UMass men's basketball game when Ron Gerlifson was there and Lorenzo Sutton and that was my my very first night on the air doing sports how did you decide like this is what I'm going to do in an era when that just wasn't wasn't a norm no I, I love sports I knew I always wanted to stay close to sports um, sports therapy uh, and women in sports type of therapy stuff really wasn't discussed. Um, I hated blood, even though I, want, I didn't want to be a sports like medicine doctor. And I thought really sports broadcasting would be the best way for me to be able to stay close to sports after my days were done. Who'd you reach out to? Like, what was, did you try to cultivate mm -hmm. mentorship roles? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Arnold Dean was uh, 
was the big person in our area. Arnold Dean was the Dean of Sports in Hartford, Connecticut at WTIC Radio. And uh, he was the person that I would say that I certainly reached out to in the beginning. Uh, and then there was uh, Bill Patrick and Kimberl Marshall and Dave Smith at Channel 3 in Connecticut. And I was constantly reaching out to them and I eventually was able to get an internship at Channel 3. That was my first internship. Actually, I shouldn't say that. PM Magazine, which was housed in the same building as Channel 3 in Hartford, was my first internship. And then I found my way downstairs to the sports department of the news station and, and I got my first sports internship there. Did you ever reach out to Gail or Gail and say, hey, like, I've watched you and I admire you? And No, no, I, I didn't reach out to, to Gail at all. Um, but, you know, I just kind of stay in, stay in local um, with, with Arnold because he was such an icon and, you know, and, and will always be remembered in Hartford as, as the dean of sports. That's, that was the person I certainly reached out to. Maybe this is like a stereotypical question, but how hard was it to be a woman in sports and a woman in sports media back in that day? Oh, it was really hard. Um, you know, I, I was up against, when, especially when I was covering pro stuff, uh, you know, there was a lot of talk about women in the locker room, and and um, and I was, I was actually before the whole Zeke Moat situation, and and I found that uh, once they knew, I knew what I was talking about. Um, they kind of backed off and respected me and and I respected their place too because I had a deadline just like the gentleman next to me and no, none of us wanted to be in the locker room at, at that time but we had stories to get on the air and um, you know I made sure with the Jets that uh, Scott Mercero was playing for the Jets he went to Southern Connecticut where I had graduated from so I always went to Scott first and then once the rest of the players saw that I was dealing with Scott then they kind of all opened up from there did you ever feel like like did you have that and like not that anybody should ever feel like they shouldn't have to get it right but that feeling of like i goodness i always have to get it right because oh. if i slip on anything i'm gonna get nailed for it yeah I, I i would agree with you and and again i i can't tell you enough how the my colleagues uh I had great my colleagues had great respect for me uh, and as, as I did for them, and they were always watching. They were like big brothers, no matter where I was. Uh, Rich Coppola, who's uh, at Channel 61 in Hartford, he was at Channel 22, my, my rival in, in Massachusetts. And um, uh, Joe D, who I did a lot of games, UConn games with. Uh, and they were just, there was a, there was a horde of us that kind of went around together, and, and they were like big brothers to me. And uh, Bo Kalinsky at the Hartford Current, he ended up, passing away unfortunately but um Bo was was a big was a person that was in my corner he was a huge fan of high school sports with the Hartford Current and Bo helped me on the writing side newspaper side gave me my first newspaper gig and so that was in between doing things free for Continental Cable, waiting for my first opportunity on the TV side, and then I came back to Bo again uh, after uh, leaving Channel 8. I had a little hiatus there, and I got into coaching at the University of New Haven doing some softball, uh, where Bo actually hired me back, and I was working on the newspaper side waiting for that next TV gig. You know, we had Anne-Marie Anderson on um, a couple of weeks ago, mm -hmm. and we talked about the process of 
listen, I was a producer on Sports Center, and then I wanted the next thing, and that was on sideline reporting, and I wanted the next thing, and that's doing play-by-play or yeah. being an analyst and then being doing play-by-play. Yeah. Um, what was your quest of, you know what, I'm doing television, or I'm, I'm a newspaper reporter, right? now I want to be on television. Okay, now I want to – how did you chase, and what, what kept pushing you to chase for that next thing as opposed to um, – finding that TV niche and saying, you know, this is where I want to be. What made you keep yeah. grabbing for that next star? The word no. No, a woman can't do sports. I knew I knew my sports. I grew up around sports. I grew up in New England, grew up watching the Red Sox and, and the Celtics and the Bruins and Phyllis Pizzito and Bobby Orr and Rico Petroselli was my favorite player and, you know, sitting out in center field, game six of the World Series and watching Fisk hit it, you know, off the pole. Um, and then, you know, having people tell you no, I think the athlete side of me came out because, you know, you want to win. You, 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 nobody wants to lose. And so that kept me fighting uh, for, for the right, which I felt that, that, that I had earned. And, um, and that opportunity came. And at Channel 40, uh, like I said, it was the third news director. And he gave me that opportunity, and I had some good guys behind me, in front of me, helping me, uh, to, mentoring me uh, to, to move along there. And then uh, Bob Acosi at Channel 8, they had an opening, and um, I got my break and was able to stay home and be in Connecticut in front of my family. And that was important, too, because I had some other opportunities in Texas and stuff, and um, I decided to hold back and wait for that right opportunity. Ended up working out well because I was able to work at Channel 8. I covered UConn women's basketball. <clears throat> I ended up leaving Channel 8. And then that's kind of when the uh, UConn women's games ended up coming on TV. And uh, I was with them for their first run, uh, both on CPTV, which I, I believe Gino's thought process and CPTV's thought process of putting women's basketball games on television opened up the process for the rest of the United States and where women's basketball is today. And um, I think that the, the industry kept changing and, and I had to change my, my thoughts because initially when I got into it, I thought uh, I'm going to be doing TV sports, TV news sports. Well, we've all seen TV sports casts go from three minutes to many stations around the country don't have it anymore. Uh, so then I started freelancing and thinking, okay, I'm going to do color commentary. Well, the older you get, and if you don't have a championship ring on the color commentary side, the younger players come out of college, they have aspirations to do color, more games started getting on TV, and then I started thinking, okay, I need to open my thought process up. Started doing play-by-play, -play, started doing sidelines. The Celtics called because I had anchor experience at Channel 8, so I was a pregame and postgame host for the Celtics. So it just kind of kept opening, and you have to keep those doors open because of the way that the industry keeps changing. There's a lot I want to go back to there, and this will seem like the most <laughs> trivial of them based on where we just ended. Um, you were there when Fisk hit the pole? I was there, center field. I was an eighth grader. Uh, my aunt, uh, rest her soul, Lived in Boston on Com Ave, and every summer we would go to a Red Sox game. That was part of the fam that was our family trip in the summertime. And she wrote Mr. Yaki the year that the Sox won, and told Mr. Yaki how disappointed she was that Bostonians hadn't gotten tickets. Mr. Yaki sent her two tickets to Game Six, and so she picked myself and my cousin Michael to go to that game. Well, how were we going to get there? We neither one of us drove, so my dad loaded up the station wagon, and we went up. And I brought uh, one of my friends with me, and we scalped tickets and uh, 
my sister and my cousin and myself and my mom and dad and we were we were all all there we were all separated all over the the, the ballpark but my cousin and I were in center field and uh, we were there till the end <laughs> so you had a pretty good look then so you knew it was gone I knew it was gone I mean there was there were so many great plays that night uh there was a great play in Dwight Dwight Evans made a heck of a catch in right field it was like right below us Freddie Lynn made a great play uh in center field right below us I mean there were just and then to top it off, Fisk hits a home run. And, I, and several years later at spring training, I, I brought the ticket with me, uh, and he signed the ticket. I still have it today. That's cool. Yeah. That's really – I was going to ask if you still have the ticket. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, that's, yeah, don't lose that. I have a whole, <laughs> I have a whole crate full of uh, game programs and stuff from, from back in the day. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, what was the world like before women's basketball was dominated by UConn? What was the world like before? <laughs> it was, for the state of Connecticut, it was all about the Hartford Whalers. <laughs> they're still trying to figure out a way to get them back. I was like, back. yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a sore subject, I think, yeah. Um, I, well, because you broadcast, we talked about it over emails this week, you broadcast their first ever, well, not their first ever, but Gino's first NCAA tournament game, yeah, which yeah. is like a wild thought to think about now. Yeah, yeah I mean, I was there at Kerry Bascom. That whole crew, Wendy Davies, you know, there was a group that he brought in, and, and that was really the first group that ended up going to the NCAAs. And, uh, and, and you know, to think where they were back in the old field house and then moving into Gamble and the transition. And, you know, I, was, I covered Rebecca Lobo when she was playing field hockey. <clears throat> and I, I want to say she played the, not the flute. She played an instrument, too. But, you know, I covered her back in the day at Southwick High School. And then, you know, she gets a scholarship and she becomes one of the premier players in the early days, the legend, um, to go on for UConn and stuff. So that, and then, then we ended up carrying on the torch there for a little while um, when I was doing work with the Orlando Miracle, which then became the Connecticut Sun. So we came full circle back around again. Um, on the more serious side of what you said on that, that previous answer, um, tell me about the, the hearing no, or a woman can't do that. Yeah. Uh, a, if there are any, like, is there a, a moment that sticks out to you where somebody said that and you were like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Um, and how do you battle through that at, again, a time when that was kind of accepted? I, I think um, w there are a couple that stick out in my mind. Um, one was down in Florida. I had I had gone down to Florida. Just was kind of going around and visiting TV stations. And the gentleman, the news director at the time, said, oh, "This area is not ready for a woman doing sports. Uh, just it won't just won't happen here. The demographics aren't right for it." And I was like, well, "Okay." And I'm like, "Why would you say that?" Well, it's just an older generation. They just won't accept a woman doing sports. He didn't last too long after that, <clears throat> and there was a, a female news director who had come in. It's funny how that works. Yeah, yeah. and um, they got stuck one night. Actually, they needed somebody to edit their 11 o'clock news, and she knew I was there and living, and she said, can you come edit the show? And I, absolutely. And then one thing led to another, and I don't know, five years later, I was filling in for Kevin Agandi, who's now at ESPN, and... Um, was doing their football Friday nights, and we, we ended up getting an AP award for uh, the large market for the football Friday night show. So, you know, it all works out in the end. That would be one. And then I can recall at a Patriots game, we were in the locker room after the game, and Dan Marino um, had just hit a milestone. He, I think he hit Jimmy Jensen in the end zone for a big catch, and, and so we were all in the locker room, and he wasn't going to start the uh, little press conference 
with, until all the female reporters left. And several of the guy reporters stuck up for us, and you know we continue on. So it's those those little things that you know kept me, along with the rejection letters too, kept me kept me going. <laughs> Doris Burke had an interesting quote too uh, when HBO did the Real Sports feature on her. Gosh, I, I don't know, probably a year ago now, mm -hmm. and they asked her the question about. You know, when the, the younger, newer model comes along in, in terms of female analysts, and Doris basically said, like, I, I watch old, wrinkly, bald men on television all the time. Why d does a woman have to live up to a certain standard? Um, how does that, how's that battle fought, <laughs> for, for lack of a better way of putting that? Drinking good water? <laughs> yeah. No, I, you know, it's, it's hard to say. Um, you know, Doris... Uh, and I've had a good fortune of working with Doris and Beth Mowens uh, as well. And, um, you know, the, the thing that I like about both of them first, and then I'll go back to answer your question, is they've experienced success, and they've experienced the lows too, and they're the same person no matter where you run into them. And I think that's important because a lot of us lose our humbleness, I've seen in the industry, and, um, and I have never seen either one of those guys you know, lose that, and I think that's that's important. I think I think that how you carry yourself through those good times and difficult ones, it will will set you apart and help you have the longevity because it is a small. Our business is a small world. I can't, sometimes I, you know, I haven't worked with somebody in 15 years, and then I run into my work with them three times, and and, and you just never know. So, um, I think it's being able to handle rejection, um, treating people the way you wish to be treated. And, um, you know, having a good rapport and showing everybody you do your homework and you care about what you do and enjoying what you do. I mean, we get paid to watch a sport, and it's, there's nothing better than that. And uh, the contacts and the people that I've come across and the coaches that, you know, I know you've come across too, uh, they care about us, they care about their teams, and they care about putting a good product all around to showcase, you know, what, what we're all trying to accomplish, and it, it is a total team effort. I feel like there's also a trap too sometimes, um, and this happens on the the guys' side too, where you know you'll say say to somebody you're you're changing your voice because that's not what you sound like when you talk, but particularly <laughs> when you're a woman because there's this feeling of like, well, I don't like how it sounds coming from a woman, but like you sound on television exactly like you sound right. when I talk to you in person. And Beth Moens, that, that, that's, that's how she sounds. Doris Burke, that's how she sounds. But th there are some where you listen sometimes and you go, she's trying to sound different because she feels like maybe she has to, yeah. um, which sure. seems like an unfair double standard. Yeah. Uh, how do you fight that battle of, like, this is what I sound like and take it or leave it? And, yeah, and that has to be okay. You know, it's funny you should say that because I, 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 I did a reading at my aunt's uh, funeral a few years back, and my uncle said to me, no, don't use your broadcast voice. And I go, what are you talking about? He goes, well, don't talk loud. And I go, well, we're in a church. I've got to project my voice. So, you know, but, but it, was a, it was an icebreaker. But, I, I, you know, to answer that question, I mean, I, I, I think that listening to other games and other, uh, all sports, men or women, doesn't matter the sport, I'm always listening and, and listening about how they're conveying what they're telling us and the voice that they're using. Because the ones that turn me off um, are the ones that are screaming and yelling and just, you know, just be yourself. You know, the way that we're talking right now is what the person home wants to hear. Yes. Let's talk about um, the physical 
play-by-play and analytical work and, and that, that nitty-gritty side of things as well. Uh, how'd you learn how to do it um, when you got into it? Like, what did you do to learn this is how I'm going to do play-by-play or this is the right way to be an analyst once you were in the, the media biz, so to speak? I think the analyst role was so young on the TV side for me that, you know, female-wise, there wasn't really a, a lot of people to watch. Um, on the, I can tell you a little bit better on the play-by-play side because I was sitting on the color side for so long, I was able to watch good people and be around good people, like Bob Soshi, who's now with the, the Patriots. Uh, he and I used to do a lot of the uh, Patriot League games to, in, in Army-Navy games together. Andrew Monaco, who's now doing a lot of Texas A&M stuff. He and I were together back in the Orlando Miracle days. So Joe D, I mean, I can go down the line. Um, watching a lot of friends uh, of the pod there, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mike Gorman, who's the Celtics, from my Celtics days. Um, his wife, Terry Schindler, was really big in starting the whole Big East television productions and stuff with UConn. Um, so I had some good people to watch on that side and how they functioned and what they were doing and directing traffic um, from that angle. Anchoring, you know, Bill Patrick, like I said, and Canberra Marshall, who, who's ironically, thank goodness to Facebook, I'm still, I ran into him and he's still anchoring, he's, but he's doing the morning news now. He's made the switch. He made the switch during Hurricane um, Andrew back in Miami. He was doing sports then. And that was when he made the switch from sports to news, and he's been doing it ever since. And he's still doing morning news in Houston, Texas, okay. whatever I ran into him recently. So I think it's just kind of picking a few people and watching how they do their thing and watching how they do their homework. The, our boards are constantly changing, our homework boards. I'm referring to our preparation boards. Um, I've, I've I've cheated uh, now. We cheat, we cheat off of Bob Sochi's boards and kind of tweaked it a little bit. Um, you know, I'm, I'm constantly looking and looking at your boards and seeing how you do it. You, you have so much stuff on your boards, I can't read it. I have no life, so it's, it's a bad example. I can't, yeah. I can't, I can't read your boards, but you know, it's those those boards and that information. And sometimes I'll write them out because I find that writing it out, especially if we have a quick turnaround, I can I can retain it a little bit better. When you, you're one of those, the, probably the few people too that, you know, you talked about like you don't have the ring, um, but you have such a vast knowledge base across a lot of sports too. Like there, there are not a lot of people that would do women's basketball at a very high level and turn around and be like, hey, yeah, she's one of our lead field hockey analysts. <laughs> um, how do you, again, like not to say like how do you fight that battle, but like how do you... How did you continue to say, like, hey, I'm an expert in this, and I'm an expert mm-hmm. in that? And what was your quest of, obviously, you've got the knowledge base because you played a lot of sports, mm-hmm. but to, to be seen as an expert in so many different ways across just a, a vast landscape of sports that you, you've been able to have kind of this, this broad resume of different types of assignments? I think it was the timeline that I got into the industry in. Uh, field hockey, for example, was not covered on television on a regular basis till the mid mid to late 90s and the ACC was the first one to do that so when I heard about it and I was already doing basketball for the Fox Sports South now out of Atlanta 
it, it was easy for me to make that phone call to the right person and say, hey, I'm, you know, I'm your girl. Um, I've officiated it. I played it. I've you know, officiated it at the college level. You know, I, I, I'm the one. I, you know, give me a shot. And so that, that made it easy. And again, I think it's all about the contacts that we've made along the way that have opened doors. Um, women's ice hockey, you don't hear about that a lot. Well, I played at the senior B level. So uh, that was another easy, uh, and I wouldn't say easy, it's never easy, but it, was, it opened the, that opportunity up a bit easier maybe for myself than someone else. Um, and then, of course, you know, it, it, as the Olympic women's team went along and, and won that gold, uh, and A.J. Malesko, you know, she does a great job. And now I'm so happy to see that we've worked together, so happy to see that she's doing, uh, doing sidelines or, or doing some analyst work for NBC on their weekly games. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, now she's kind of gone into the, the color side, but I can do the play-by play by play side of it so that that helps what do you like best um i would have to say i'll be a dangerous question it is i i like hosting i think it's fun um but i I like doing play by play uh it it depends on on the game but I, i do like doing play by play um especially if it's like women's hockey or field hockey um in basketball, too. I mean, I, 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 I like the play-by-play, but I like the color work, too, because it forces you, you study different ways in preparation. Like, the way you've prepped for your basketball games when we're working together and I'm doing color, our preparation is different. And then when I slide into the other role, and, and I'm doing this right now, I'm, I'm, I'm this season involved with the uh, NCAA's Division II Showcase, and we do double headers. So the, for the first game of those double headers, I'm doing the analyst side. And then for the second game, I'm sliding into the play-by-play role with my broadcast partner, men's and women's. And it, it's fun because uh, it keeps you on your toes all the time for that preparation on the other side. Do you ever forget which one you're in? Like, yeah. it's like, uh, yeah, sorry, I thought I was in the analyst still, my bad. <laughs> no, no, but, but um, if that did happen, the people who I've been working with also have, because they're play-by-play people, um, it kind of works out so we kind of cover each other that way. Um, what's good play-by-play to you? Um, somebody who lets it breathe and isn't constantly throwing stats at me. Yeah, some somebody that uh, lets the game let, lets on the on the TV side, somebody who lets the game come to me as I'm watching it. On the radio side, <clears throat> there's nothing. There is nothing like listening to a baseball game on the radio, and and I think it's even better when you're driving somewhere because it just takes you for that ride home. But um, when I'm listening to a baseball game on the radio. Uh, I like the detail, but there's nothing like hearing the sound of the ball on, on those radio broadcasts and really painting a picture for me as if I'm there in the ballpark watching it. Let me flip that around because I'm thinking of this from a play-by-play standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, I've worked with a couple of people that have done their first games ever over the last couple of weeks, and they always go, what am I supposed to do as an analyst? Uh, what is good analysis? And if somebody's out there listening to this and they work with a first-timer who goes, what am I supposed to do? Mm-hmm. How would you describe the, the 101 to that role to execute it the right way? Yeah, I, I would say as an analyst that you're letting your, you're letting your play-by-play person drive the car and you're kind of sitting back, taking in the big picture, 
d describing where the car is going and why, why the car got there and how the car got there. But don't feel as though you need to tell me every detail of what I've just said. <laughs> just you know, just kind of let it bring bring it all together of where he's driving or he or she's driving the car. How about the relationship between the two? Um, what's a good partner to you, in in either direction? Mm -hmm. um, good chemistry. I think that it's almost like a, uh, it is like a family from the truck. You know, to, and 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 I think a lot of times the truck people get lost, but. It really is. We're a total team, just as the teams on the court are. And if we're not, if not, if not, if one person doesn't click on our side, it it's it can be catastrophic for everybody. I think from from the face, from the play-by-play -play and the color person, I think that the two things are to communicate like you're out to dinner and and enjoying each other's company and being able to play off of each other and really listen to each other and not feel as though well gee I, I did all this homework and I've got all this information in front of me and I really need to get it all out before the game to show everybody that I've done my homework I don't that'll take care of itself depending on which way the game goes and there are many times just like studying for a test that all that stuff kind of gets left in the booklet because the game takes care of itself. So kind of just understanding where the game's going, understanding where you and your partner are going and listening to each other and playing off of each other. How long did it take you to feel comfortable with that? With you? No. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we're, we're two games in, so I don't know. Um, sure, that's a dangerous answer. Uh, but like, just in general, like when you're on TV, like how long did it take you to feel like you weren't thinking about it and it just happens? Um, I think that the moment you ever not think about it, y you've lost your love for it. I, I still get, I still get nervous. I still, may, you know, I, before the lights go on, I'm playing things through my head. Um, every game, you feel like it's the championship game, and it is because you never know who's watching out there for us. Um, I, I'm comfortable. And I, th I think that comes across, but uh, I, you know, I get nervous and I want to make sure that I'm saying everything and speaking eloquently yeah. and, and having a good time. And, and, and you and I haven't worked for a long time, but I, f I feel comfort with us. Like, you know, we've known each other for a while and you don't always feel that sometimes when you walk into a, to a gym or you're on a conference call with somebody and, 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 and it, it, it gets a little awkward, but it, rarely happens but it when it does happen you're like oh boy <laughs> time to move on to the next game <laughs> i just like i ask it from the standpoint of um like i've done enough tv now where i feel like it comes out well enough but in my head like you're sitting there and it's like okay she's talking right now i need to be listening okay but there's a game going on over mm -hmm. here and oh god that just happened and okay oh god what did she just say mm -hmm. um and the producer's, and, in, your and the producer's in your ear <laughs> um and are we in a timeout so, oh god we're going to timeout um just to get all like but I guess you, I, I like the perspective of like if those voices stop going away, then it's not a good thing because yeah. you want to always be on your toes in yeah. some regards, which yeah, totally. I guess is nerve wracking, but but good. It's yeah, it's a it's a it's a rush almost because you know you used to get those rushes when you played. You, you needed to know the scout, you needed to know the tendencies, you needed to come up with a big play for your teammates, uh, whether it was you know hit and run or you know uh, the big you know being on a power play or or whatever, um, driving to the hoop and um, you, you need that same. Uh, there is 
there's a lot of comparisons, I think, in broadcasting as in coaching, and there's a lot of comparisons, I think, in broadcasting as in playing as far as the, the natural high of, of being involved in the game and in the sport and being around the athletes and, and just getting that feel of being on the field or the gym like we used to be. How do you balance um, game and story, too? Because, you know, sometimes it's a great game and the game takes care of itself, mm -hmm. but you still... Listen, these are three, and we even did it today. Like, before we left practice today, we sat there and said, all right, if all else fails, what are three things we really want to talk about? Um, how do you balance walking down some avenues and how far down those avenues you go? Um, because people can see the picture mm -hmm. with still being able to touch on the game and, and juggle four or five balls. Well, I think some of that comes from, from our producer uh, as well because they're calling the shots as to where we're, we're going sometimes. We get, to, we get to offer our suggestion if we see something happen in play-by-play -play where we say, okay, can we go here now? But they still have to be the ones who put the picture to let us go there. We're on the radio. It's a little bit different. Um, I think that, you know, it's, it, it's, a, it's a tough question. Um, Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not really not sure. <laughs> do you think there's a? Do you almost think like every play-by-play -play person should have to be an analyst at some point in their life, and vice versa? Or like, what is the appreciation you have for what the other one has to do because you've done both of them at the level you have? Yeah, I, I think that the home the the homework is just so different that I think it's a good idea if we went to boot camp, <laughs> that 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 would be part of the the weeks criteria at the camp but uh, but I'll tell you this I, I think what's even more important and, and I've been trying to speak with um, uh, officials basketball officials about this I think in our industry I would love to see a, a broadcast camp whether it's a day camp a week camp or whatever for whatever sport we're doing going into that season where we actually like a boot camp sit down with the the officials or umpires or whatever and go over the new rules for the year. And maybe that's the, the officiating and umpiring side of me coming out, but the communication has gotten better in the basketball side from the table to the officials that are covering the games. I, I think that needs to be taken up another notch where us as broadcasters collectively, be, because we need to be getting it right on the air. And that's the only way we're going to get it right. Uh, Leah, if people want to find you on television or social media, uh, how do they find more Leah Secondo in their life? Uh, Twitter, at Leah Secondo, uh, is the best way to find me. Absolutely. And if they want real estate in Florida? Leah Secondo at michaelsaunders.com or glenlakesinfo.com. <laughs> For sure, and I appreciate that little. The, you know what? And and I got into the real estate, eighteen no twenty years ago as a way to, during the slowdown time of broadcasting. Then the Celtics came, the WNBA came, um, but it's really it's really helped. I have two full time jobs, and I've never not had just one job. So it, it kind of helps with that void, and I've helped out quite a few ballplayers and stuff, so it's been fun in that aspect. <laughs> All I know is I told you where I lived in Bradenton, and you ducked, so that I, don't, I probably should have known you better back in that point in time. I would have been better off for it, but hey, uh, six of one. Um, Leah, appreciate the time. Thanks for uh, traveling down memory lane with us. Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity. All right, that's Leah Secundo joining us here on PXPCast. 
Uh, you can find her in any number of places, again, calling any number of sports. But currently, uh, best place to find her is finding some women's basketball on CBS Sports Network. And if you're lucky enough... Um, I don't know, maybe not lucky enough. Maybe if you're unlucky enough, uh, you'll find me sitting right alongside her as well. Uh, Fun conversation. We actually recorded that sitting down on a bench at the gym in our hotel in Philadelphia. Uh, It was the first time I've done a podcast, uh, both in a hotel gym, uh, but also with somebody on the treadmill around the corner from us. So that was pretty cool. If you heard some beeps, she was starting it. Um, Many thanks to Leah for uh, sharing her perspective. Um, Dating back to like, yes, I thought that was cool. She's the first person that I know of that was at the Ostromsky game. Stay fair. Stay fair. Um, So cool to see uh, her beginnings as a fan in sports and how that blossomed into being a trailblazer um, in this industry. Uh, If you haven't heard last week's episode with Brendan Burke and you're a big hockey fan, do go back and find uh, that episode in the archives. And then Anne-Marie Anderson uh, hits on a lot of similar topics we talked uh, about with Leah today. If you go back two episodes, Anne-Marie Anderson uh, Anderson of the Las Vegas Aces and the Pac-12 Network, uh, whom also employs Leah. Um, You can find that episode in the archives. All of them, as always, are archived and free uh, to your uh, your disposal or your pleasure. Uh, next week, we're back at it. We'll see you next Friday. But for this week, we are out of time. Many thanks to Leah. Uh, many thanks to you. If you have a chance, rating or review always helps the podcast. It goes a long way. Until next week, we're out. And that will do it from St. Louis, where the score is inconclusive.